Talk, season four of the Telly Award winning podcast. Still limping a little bit after Comic Con, but fighting for a second wind. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I am yeah, Rylan Grant. Breath. Deep breath. Screenwriter, Ringo Award winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and now Fashing Origins. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is. David Avalone, comic book and television writer, who rarely has his comps in hand before we record the intro. Oh wow, you got those. That is a that is a pretty looking book. I like the blue. Uh, if you uh, missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many more uh, WGA strike conversations recently with folks like Melody Cooper and Christopher Cantwell. Our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, uh, Apple Pods, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it all out. Um, great show today, but you know, let's check in after uh, this is the first episode after uh, a triumphant um, San Diego Comic Con for both of us. Uh, yeah. How you feeling? How you feeling, man? We're my we're, throat uh, is uh, <laughs> my throat is gone. I'm really glad that I'm the kind of person who about once a year buys a big bag of Ricola. Yeah, and empties it into my briefcase and forgets it's there, because around uh, you know one o'clock on Friday, I was like, "Honey, can you look in my bag and see if there's still thirty Ricola in there?" Because holy shit, do I need that right now? And um, that was my wife, by the way. I don't call Ryland honey on air. And, yeah, not uh, on air. Yeah, not on air. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So that was uh, I did six panels. It was very that was a lot. I did two signings and learned an important lesson, which is don't do the signings before you do the panels because mm -hmm. you don't get uh, new people. It was very nice to see some familiar faces with comics for me to sign. That was nice. Yeah. And we announced that Drawing Blood is with Image, so that news is out. And uh, someday we will put together the press release and actually tell the rest of the world, aside from the, the 30 people that were in the room. Or no, it was more than that. It was a pretty big, uh, pretty big turnout for the panel. And uh, and this week I have uh, Elvira in Monsterland number the third out with that's a good. variety of attractive covers. Oh wow, that's nice. And wow. uh, that's always nice. Collect them all. Collect them and trade them with your friends, as we used to say on television <laughs> in the eighties. Um, what do you got going on? Uh, you know, so uh, back from Comic Con, still limping a little bit, sixty thousand steps in about two and a half days. Um, mm -hmm. After you know, I, I I for some reason fought very heavily in my uh, my Kempo classes uh, the Wednesday before and went in with a bum knee and a hurt shoulder and a tweak to lower back. So um, and I get to uh, I get to teach again tonight. So, nice. <laughs> so so it comes full circle. But at, man, it was just a great con. Um, it really was. Yeah, it was. Uh, I signed with a new agency. I was just telling you before. Yeah. Uh, I am now um, under the William Morris uh, Endeavor uh, 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 banner, uh, which is great. Uh, you know, for film and TV, and uh, when that gets going again. But um, I got some novels to sell. Got some IP to uh, very nice to get ready to move. So um, that is exciting and new and interesting. Uh, a lot of big Mortal Studios announcements. Um, I saw that. Yeah, it was announced finally that um, you know they they brought me on to kind of spearhead their uh, their their big um, uh, you know their their sort of flagship title their uh, uh, their defenders title the the title that kind of takes the whole um, uh, universe into the the sort of future so um, 
that was exciting and well received uh, a full room but but man we had our we had our writers block meetup and it was um it was heavily and enthusiastically attended it was very nice. I mean, I know Saturday night at the Bayfront Hilton, that bar is going to be packed. But our, our start time was 9, and I looked around around 10.30, and I went, I'm responsible for a quarter of the people in this packed bar, and that's uh, yeah. that's a good feeling. It, 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 at least. And it was, you know, I mean, it was really a um, – I mean, it was nice being at the Bayfront the whole time because it was like, you know, I, I, I've been going to Comic-Con since 2004. I've, I hit everyone since 2004. I used to walk into the Bayfront and – you know, maybe I'd know the odd person or something like that. I, I looked around at some point and I'm like, I literally know everyone in this place almost, you know, or, or, or right. at, at least it's a friend of a friend. And it yeah. was just, you know, the, the comic community is just so amazing. I mean, they're, uh, um, you know, there, there was so much love in the room and, yeah. you know, you know, I feel like we, uh, we're already close to these people. I feel like we walked out so much closer and, yeah. um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people I'd take a bullet for in that room. So, um, yeah. th thanks guys. Uh, but speaking of great members of the comic community and speaking of folks who were, uh, who were at our, uh, our, our meetup at the Bayfront on Saturday, let's bring Rob on. Rob Cutner, ladies and gentlemen. Howdy, howdy. Hey, howdy, Rob. How's, How uh, how's your recovery from Comic-Con going? I came, David, you posted about how you and Augusta get this weird summer cold thing from it. Mm -hmm. And it freaked you out. And I had the same thing happen to me. I took so many code tests. I quarantined myself for like a day. I was like telling everyone I'd been, I did a, what do you call it? Uh, what did they call it? Vector tracking, that kind of thing. What did they call mm -hmm. it? Wow. Yeah. And I was freaking out. And then it kind of just passed after a day. And I think maybe walking around in San Diego in July all day without eating properly or hydrating. Yeah, that's not, a big not part. Yeah, health for a guy of our age. Yeah, we, that was that wasn't this this year. We were both just kind of sore at the end, but it was yeah. last year in the car home. Augusta was like, "No, I got COVID. I'm really <laughs> sure I have COVID." And then we tested her like five days in a row, and I'm like, "Honey, it's just con crud. No, it's con just crud. the usual. Lots it's just con the con usual con crud. Yeah, that I, we've been getting for 25, 30 yeah, years. And, yeah, but I think I, I, I mean, none of us is young anymore, quote unquote. There is you know? and, and, and I, I do think. I mean, you know, here's the thing. I, I did sixty thousand steps in two and a half days. That's insane for anyone. Um, it's particularly insane for you know uh, a, a guy who isn't twenty anymore. Um, but but it's like you said, Rob. Like the, I mean, being kind of malnourished and uh, and underhydrated and all of those things. I literally think that like half of it is electrolytes. So so I'm I'm yeah. I, I'm walking the con floor, and um uh you know and and Ray Anthony Height is passing me. He grabs hold of me, and we're sitting there talking for twenty minutes. And and at some point, I realize like Ray is holding a Gatorade. And it was like it 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 was it was it was like the universe was telling me something. I'm like, wait a minute, there are these beverages that specifically contain elect electrolytes and are scientifically designed, yeah, to 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 replace the electrolytes in your body. And so I'm like, that is a very good idea. And 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 you know, Ray kind of had the same thing where he's like, I know, man, this is like genius, right? And so because of Ray, I went and I got a Gatorade. I drank the Gatorade and I felt like a million dollars for three hours. And then I felt like shit again. But, uh, yeah. but no, um, anyway, anyway Ga Ga Gatorade, go get some. That's, that's the tip yeah. for next week. I mean, next year, I'm going to take that. Do you guys know that thing called Tough Mudder? You know, that that really like hard ass competition yeah. people do. where you, like, yeah, yeah. You, you climb through the mud and you climb ropes and you get electric shocks. It's really... So I call, I refer to STCC as Tough Nerder. Oh, wow. Like nice punishes your body and your mind and all that. If yeah. you have to yourself. And, and I have just baldly referred to it before as the baton death march of comics, <laughs> uh, which is maybe 
maybe it's hyperbole, you know, but uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like hyperbole when it's when it's happening. Um, so tell the kids at home something about yourself, Rob. Um, I am a former late night writer for Jon Stewart and Conan O'Brien, and I have been turning into um, an animation writer and a sometimes, not like you guys, but a sometimes comics creator. And I have a new kids graphic novel out called Snot Goblins and Other Tasteless Tales, which is every bit as uh, uh, inappropriate as it sounds. That's a great title. Nice. It's, and Snot Goblins is out now. It just came out today, and you guys are the uh, the Virgin podcast for it. Oh wow! Very very nice. What what will go easy on you? Very, very <laughs> we'll be gentle. And is yeah. and this will be this is it in bookstores. They can order it from Amazon. It is in bookstores. This is Amazon. It's at uh, wherever you get books. If you get books, nice nice. Wherever fine books are sold. That's very. <laughs> I would very, say very that nice. book, certainly. So let's go, let, let's go back and do the the quick origin story a little bit. Uh, when I met you in 2001, while we're all aging ourselves here, um, you were, I think that was in your uh, Daily Show days. Yes. And where did you come from to get to the Daily Show? Um, actually, 2001, I was still, my first job was actually with Dennis Miller on Dennis Miller Live, his HBO That's show. Right. Yeah. And I actually clarified that was Libertarian Dennis Miller. Um, yeah, right. there you go. Yeah. At the end, right. of that, that was the, that was my first job, just at this sort of tail end of that shift. And so um, I'd work my way up as a lot of people do as sort of a writer's assistant. Uh, and then my contributions were recognized. And then I was moved up the very last year of the show when he was just getting almost too Republican for HBO. They bumped me up to writer. So nice. I went from there to um, to uh, the Daily Show. Um, I was there through a lot of the John Stewart regime and then came out. Came out with Conan for his ill-fated Tonight Show. Won, won some Emmys as part of the Jon Stewart regime. I did win some Emmys, yes. All me. All me. It was all you. It was all you. Nobody else. Excellent. And then Conan. Came out west with Conan for that the failed show and then for the more successful uh, TBS show for almost nine years. Wow. That's a good run. And and you, you've always been a comics fan, right? Has that always been an ambition for you to write them? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I was like someone whose like world was changed by like you know it almost sounds like a cliche, but like you know Watchmen and Dark Knight just like just blew my brain up when I was a teenager. Speaking of dating mm -hmm. ourselves, and um, I was super into those and you know especially X Men stuff like that. And then I kind of went away from it for a while, and then I think sort of in you know in adulthood, you know, uh, I just sort of like dove back in when a whole new sort of world of comics I think emerged. Mm -hmm. Because I remember working with you on a, a an early Kickstarter video mm. for the uh, your Fantastic Voyage uh, pastiche. The, yeah, the, I was. Um, I I had this like uh, yeah this this shrinkage title, shrinkage right right yeah. about like tiny uh, tiny shrunk down people fighting tiny aliens inside the president's brain. Um, and that was actually, that was kind of interesting because it was part of a sort of a fledgling comic startup, which did not make the cut, which did not succeed in the end. But it was an interesting idea where they were going to do the comicsology thing, but like the way Spotify does, where they acquired, they acquired a lot of midless libraries from like some great, you know, some IDW and Golden Age and some good places. And they were going to make it all free and digital and then ad supported. So it's sort of kind of a library that is ad supported, which is an interesting idea. And they just didn't make it in the business, but they... They helped uh, fund and crowd. They helped crowdfund and support uh, the project, and so that's how we got it. Uh, ironically, on paper. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, have you? Do you have any plans to return to shrinkage? Is that is that something that's been set aside permanently or semi permanently? Well, you know, as a man of my age, there's it's inevitable I'll return to shrinkage at some point. But <laughs> especially when you just get out of a pool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I set it up to be a complete story. It's just eight issues. Oh, okay. It's a complete arc. I left a little cliffhanger at the end. Um, and I've teased some people about like, it could be like an adult animated kind of series, like a procedural kind of thing where they go into different people's brains. But I'm also pretty much happy with like that. It, you know, told a complete story. And that was something it had been an idea I really wanted to do for a long time. And so just getting it, that story told was very satisfying to me. And that was your first comic adventure. That was your yeah. first. Yeah. 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 How was that transition for you? What did you did you do much to prepare for it, or did, did you just dive in? Were there I read um, that you Peter David's at? book, Peter David's book on comic book writing, which I highly recommend, and because mm -hmm. um, I he's he's one of the writers I admire the most, and uh, I think he really breaks it down and like really almost to the point of like this many panels, this many words, like are ideal, like you know some really like nuts and bolts stuff, and I found that really really helpful. And then I think there was this also this piece, which you guys have probably experienced. You guys do scripted in comics as well. That whole like retraining your brain, how to like think about time differently and like panel time. Yeah. Like I find yeah. that and I still find that sort of hard to kind of like switch gears into. And then when I get there, I don't want to leave. Like it's great, but it's like you have to like yeah. really like pull some muscles in your in your synapses. That's how biology works, Cutner. Um, <laughs> to get your I brain funny, thinking that way. I was, I was uh, listening to shaken doing a comp sort of a comics 101 zoom podcast or something once and we were talking back and forth and he laid out something that i boiled down to so wait comics are the place where space equals time not to get too deep mm -hmm. but that's wild and once you figure that out once that bulb light bulb appears over your head that space equal we've blown rob away uh, yeah, that that's once amazing. you figure out that space equals time in a way that well, it doesn't in any other medium in a film, time is time. He's you one know? up Einstein there. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He was talking about how like the pacing of a comic is the size of the panels and the layout of the page and all that. I'm paraphrasing him very badly, which he would not like. But I was like, wait, 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 Howard, you're saying space equals time. And he was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Amazing. That uh, that's a real rewrite of uh, of your brain because that gets at what's unique. About it's so unique. And the other, the other piece was um, this is kind of like where my worlds collided. Is um, we had uh, on Conan uh, Brian Pozain was on, and this mm -hmm. was like I'd been a big fan of uh, Pozain and Duggan's uh, Last Christmas. Mm -hmm. You guys know that one um, that Ted Lee put out with Image, um, and I was a big fan of of them. And I just wanted to kind of say hi to Pazane in the green room, which is not a thing I ever do. I don't ever, I didn't ever like, like talking to celebrities on that show. Cause it's like, Hey, first sister, famous person. I know you and you don't really give a shit. And you have to talk to someone, you know, it's just, this feels asymmetrical. And I don't enjoy it, I don't really enjoy it either, but I made exceptions for people that I, I admired and had a genuine interest in. And so I went and told Pazane that I was like an interested in comics and he just, this sounds, this is going to sound so fundamental to you guys, but he told me about basically like about the page turn. He's mm -hmm. just like, Put put an oh shit something at the end of your you know what they call yeah. the recto the right hand bottom mm -hmm. of the right hand page in a physical book so that they have to turn the page and I was like that seems so obvious but like once you hear that it's like oh yeah that kind of directs a lot of what you do and it's it's kind of a cool way to like think about that it. is absolutely the thing that blew my mind and I can't remember where I learned about the page turn honestly yeah. I, probably from a couple of different yeah. places 
but it is the most fundamentally different thing. You know, when you're writing television, you write to an act break. You write to, you know, to a commercial break. Do you write to... What's a commercial? Yeah, right? Uh, But that a comic book has a cliffhanger payoff every two pages. Right. And obviously of various sizes. I mean, honestly, if I was telling someone who had your background, I would have described it as a setup punchline. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, that's a good way Low, to put it. Lower right-hand corner is set up, turn the page punchline. That's a great way or to put that, yeah. Every 10 page, you know, every other page for for 20 yeah. pages. And that's uh, because it can, be a, it can be as simple as question, answer. It's not right, always, right. the example I usually give is, if you're in, introducing a monster, lower right-hand page is hand on doorknob. <gasps> Upper left-hand page is what's behind the door. Yeah, totally. If you introduce the monster in the middle of the odd-numbered page, the audience is literally looking at it out of the corner of their eye going, no, but there's a monster. Why do I care about this stuff on this page? I can see the the explosion right here. And every once in a while, every once in a while, I've had situations where there were too many revelations, surprises, shocks to keep parceling them out every two pages and you do need to stick one in the center of a page, but it always hurts me deeply when I have to do that. I mean, yeah, the the really interesting thing about, you know, for me in terms of the structural differences, I mean, there there are any number of things that you can do in film and TV that you kind of can't do in comics for various obvious reasons, the whole, you know, sort of space time matrix that doesn't quite add up, but there were all these things that I learned to do, was permitted to do in comics um, that I, I at some point had this light bulb go off. It's like, you, you know what? I can do all of this stuff in film and TV. You know, I mean, when, um, I mean, for me, comics was, um, there were a lot of stories that I wanted to tell uh, that Hollywood would not allow me to tell, right? I mean, this, what you can do in Hollywood, it, it, it's it's less and less every day almost. You know, you can kind of fit it all on a postage stamp right now. Particularly when, when you were, right, you know, I mean, I get paid mostly to write, you know, bigger action movies and stuff like that. And so they they want four different kinds of those movies and they want them written a certain way. And, you know, that can, it, it's hard. It, it's I don't want to be the asshole who complains about getting paid to write fucking action movies or whatever because it's awesome and I'm glad I get to do it. However, like, there are other stories I want to tell, other ways I want to tell them. And so... When I went into comics, it was like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell those stories, but also like, I'm not really interested in telling a standard A to B to C story, and so I, I promised myself that I would start to play with structure, that I would start to play with unreliable narrators, that uh, experimental elements, all of that stuff, and so I, you know, I kind of went crazy with it, right? Um, and and it was, it was awesome. You know, I mean, it was like, it, it was soul food. It was like all of, I, I felt like I'd been pinned in a corner writing for 10 years and, you know, and, and, and I'm like, now I am letting fucking loose and I'm, you know, I'm howling at the goddamn moon and I'm loving every second of it. And um, yeah. it was shortly after that, that, you know, I got hired to write this, this heist thing that eventually became the, the, the TV series. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in deep on right now. That's on hold because of the uh, the pandemic, but uh, not the pandemic, the the strike. Excuse me. It's been kind of a, it's this, a this thing. There was a pandemic. Now there's a strike. Uh, uh, the pandemic of greed. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Anyways, yeah. So, so I'm writing this thing, and again, it's a heist thing. And I've you know I've written five or six like big you know big heist things in my 
in, you know, in, in my career. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a way you write those, you know, and I can write, I can write that movie, that TV series in my sleep. Um, you know, they writing those things paid for my fucking house, but I, I, I would honestly be bored and I would be, it would not end up being good. It would not end up sparkling. It would look like every other fucking heist movie that's out there. Literally every room you walk into in Hollywood, they have a heist movie or two in, in development. Uh, very few of them get made cause they're all the same. Uh, and so I could have contributed to that shit pile, but, but I'm, I'm starting this thing and I'm like, this sucks. I don't want to be doing this. <laughs> And then at some point a light bulb goes off and I'm like, you know, all that shit that I've been doing in comics that makes me fucking feel alive. Like, what if I, what if I just did that here? Right. And so, and so, man, I went all in on it with this, this TV thing. Um, at that point it was a film thing, but it became a TV thing. And, you know, again, unreliable narrators, experimental elements, telling the story, uh, uh out of order, all of that stuff. And I just put it together. Didn't tell anybody I was going to do it. Um, and, and in the end, you know, I wrote the end and I was truly fucking happy with this thing. It sung to me and I turned it in, uh, without, again, without sort of tipping my hand, without telling anybody. And, um, and I just waited, you know, and it took them, took them way too long to read and respond to it. Um, and then they finally get everyone on a call, uh, actors and, and producers and, you know, and, and everyone. And um, I don't know if I'm getting fired or or, or what. Like you intervention, know, intervention. yeah, exactly. It was weird. It took way too long. Now everybody's on a call, and they're like, "We read it," and, and I'm expecting just to get clobbered. And they're like, "We love it." <laughs> you wow. know all this. You know all this crazy shit you're doing. Um, go back and do more of it. Like let's 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 pump this up. Let's do that up. Uh, wh when you did this crazy thing, it gave us another idea. What if we did this? That's crazier. Yes, yes, yes. And then suddenly everybody was excited about this thing because they hadn't seen it before. Or at the very least, it was told in a way that they're not used to, that they don't see every day. Um, and and it invigorated the entire project. It's, you know, it, it's why we're on the one yard line with it. And hopefully the fucking strike doesn't kill it. Um, but I owe that to comics. You know what I'm saying? And, it, it, and I had this feeling that, it, you know, there is this similar, like, you're going to the playground sense with you where it's like you, I mean, you, you're very accomplished in the film and TV world, but this gives you the outlet for something else. You know, it feels like you're playing. It feels like you're alive when you're doing this. And that's why, that's why I like writing, you know, reading your books. That's cool. That I love how that story had like a, your own page turn in it, which is you on the call. That was like the top right panel with you waiting to hear what they're going to say. There you go. Yeah. And, 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 and the page turn is a good thing because I think the more that we can actually build those into films, build those into yeah. TV, the more, because, because here's the thing is, you know, again, this all starts with readers and they got to read a ton of this shit. And, and, and the more you keep them turning those pages, all, every single one of these guys, they want to throw it in the garbage. I, I was on a, I mean, from a comic standpoint, I was on a panel with, well, Avaloni, you were on the panel with Matt Hawkins this, this week. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, he's like, I, you know, I, I, you know, he said, uh, they do the top cow talent hunt. He's like, you know, we got whatever, this many hundred, this many thousand uh, proposals, scripts, whatever. He's like, I read every single one of them. I usually don't make it pay past page two. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but. Yeah, and and what he also said there is something I've yeah. heard from every development person ever. Yeah. Yeah, which is I'm looking for. Give me yeah, any reason yeah, to stop yeah, reading. Yeah, I will give you five pages. Any you know? reason in the world yeah, to stop yeah, reading? Yeah, and I yeah if stop. you have not punched me in the face <laughs> in five pages, then I'm out. Excuse me. 
or maybe, maybe it's 10 pages for somebody. I was going to uh, say, I used to I hear think Matt's, Matt's probably nail on the head, and it, it's two yeah. pages from. I used to everybody. hear 10 pages coming in when I was starting out, and then I started hearing five and three. So eventually it's going to be like the first panel. I'm mm-hmm. not yeah. interested, and I'm not going to even yeah. my, move my eyeballs. But, I yeah. mean, you know, I say this with love for my many colleagues and, and for all of the people out there striving. You look at a lot of comics Kickstarters, and that's the stuff that Hawkins is looking at, really. That's the raw materials, and it's like, a lot of is it just is not very original. It's not, you know, it's it's here's my version of Batman. Here's my version of the X-Men. Here's my version. Yeah. And it's like, I don't. <laughs> Cthulhu it's... likes boobs and yeah. cats. Yeah. Oh, oh really? Your, your, your hero is kind of dark and brooding? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and it's, it's people. And look, for some people, it is a, it is valid in the sense that, Really, that is what they want to do. What they want to do is write yeah, Batman, and this is their way of writing Batman. Uh, I am not afflicted with that, and ironically, I get to write Batman, which is fun. Uh, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. But uh, the, uh, but but you know the real. It always makes me a little sad when you have the freedom to write whatever you want for your Kickstarter for your, and, and what you've chosen is the pastiche of the pastiche of the Xerox of the photocopy as the, of the photostat of the thing that already exists and not just take the wild swing and do the craziest thing you possibly could. And of yeah. course, you know, and it's a risk. It's there, there is always risk in doing it your own way, but what you won't get is someone reading two pages and going, I, I don't want to, I don't want to keep going with this man. I know I've seen the end of this story a thousand times. You know, um, I have a, I have a story kind of right on your story actually inspired me to think about like um, about how comics has influenced my other writing. Uh, mm. in that. And this is comedy writing. So it's also a different flavor yeah. of what you were saying. So um, last fall, um, this is actually comes out of pandemic. So um, uh, I have a writing partner who's an expat based in France named Jonathan Kesselman. He wrote and directed the Hebrew Hammer. If you're familiar with that. Mm. Um uh, and uh, he and I are uh, writing partners. We collaborate on a lot of stuff. And um, he he moved to Ireland, and he came across a, a dude who runs these very successful resorts in Cork, in uh, Cork in Ireland, um, down on the coast. And uh, and a very funny, creative guy named Derek. And he um, uh, one of the resorts was idle because of COVID, and he had had this idea for a sitcom, like a pilot. And he and John met up and started talking. He said, "Like I have a whole location here. I could probably get some of the the staff to do some of like the you know the lower skill crew positions or train them and that sort of thing, and bring some people. And do, can you do you want to make my pilot? And I'll pay you to do it. And then we'll just we'll just make it and see what happens. Which I think is honestly the only way to make something to get a TV show nowadays. Because yeah, I, yeah, that sounds like the setup for a good pilot. Um, also, yeah, meta pilot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. Or, or a murder mystery, right? We all yeah, go to the islands. Right. Yeah. Cause it actually was loaded on an Island Island off of the coast of Cork, I should say. So, yeah. um, so we set about the three of us set about writing it and, um, you know, sort of like the kind of old school of thought and, in, in sitcoms, I think to some extent is like a scene ends with like what they call a button or blow, you know, like, a basically a joke, you know, just right. a, a gag, a guffaw, often a callback to something. Oftentimes you reverse engineered something that didn't really fit in the scene. So you could call it back, you know, so, and you know, like in great hands, that can be really good. You know, 30 Rock is so good at joke writing that like they have a great joke and it's fine. But I started thinking when I was writing this about like, um, what about not so much just a joke at the end, but like a, uh, 
as we're sort of saying with the page turn, kind of a little, it'll like catch your breath. Uh, oh gosh, I gotta see what's next. A little curiosity bait thing. Mm-hmm. It could be funny, but it's like int- more intriguing, sort of a blend of intriguing and funny. And I think that really, I had gotten that from, you know, that sort of comics writing that we were talking about. And I put that back yeah. into sort of pilot. And I think it really helped sort of move it along through a kind of a very complex plot for a half hour. And, um, and if I can brag, it just won the um, best international pilot at the New York uh, TV. Oh, podcast. nice! That's that's very nice. I mean, it is a. I think we're living in interesting times in terms of, you know. I, I don't think the bear is a comedy. I think it's funny. <laughs> it's funny and it's thirty minutes long, but it is tense and. But that dramatic. keeps grabbing you every scene. Like something grabs you to. You know, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and meanwhile, there are shows that are, you know, and meanwhile, Ted Lasso is an hour and 10 minutes long. And that's very funny. And that's a sitcom. Right. So, you know, the the I've always kind of uh, comedy is a, it's it's funny what gets gets categorized as comedy and what doesn't yeah. get categorized as comedy. And it really seems like the Emmy categories are really more. This is about 30 minutes long and this is 45 right. to an hour long. <laughs> And those are the real categories. And it's rare that like, you know, Ally McBeal, when it won Best Comedy and it was an hour long, that felt weird. Um, So it's just an interesting, I will say though, that writing comedy, I've only really, I've always written things that I thought were funny. Mm -hmm. I believe that people are funny and characters should be funny. Dashiell Hammett, no one would call those comedies. They're very funny. Mm -hmm. Sam Spade is very funny. I mean, uh, the, 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 the the Sopranos is like one of the yeah, funniest the TV Sopranos, shows I've ever yeah, seen in my life, and that's a funny show. And yet, I will say that like the thing that Elvira has been tricky with is the the job isn't tell the best story, though. Of course, you're always trying to tell the best story. Job one is there better be a laugh every other panel tops. Mm. Like right. maximum one a panel would be great. But I can maybe go two or three panels, but then joke, 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 joke. And it's very rare that I allow myself. This page is the wrap up of this four issue arc. We can take the story seriously, completely seriously for a page or two here. But mostly it's just got to be joke, 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 joke. The George, even the George Slaughter formula of keep telling jokes and only the every fifth or tenth one has to be that funny. Because the good feeling will last through the jokes that misfired. See, I think that's I think that's dangerous because I think like the bad feeling of a stinker can sometimes you know. Oh yeah, if it's a real, if it's a real, and but it's interesting too. Like in a character like Elvira, part of the persona yeah, the is the absolute corniness of some of right. the jokes. But of course, you also in a in the twenty first century in a meta sense, you also hang a a red flag on the corniness of the jokes. Too. And people you sort know. of, I think people buy into it, you know, yeah. in that yeah, style they somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, there's a scene in an upcoming Elvira issue where she is escaping from a poison gas attack. And as she's running away, she says, I guess I should be proud of myself for not making any fart jokes during the poison gas attack. And then as she's jumping in the water, she goes like, well, but I guess that was technically a fart joke right there about the gas attack. So, you know, those cancel each other out. Uh, so you can, in a fourth wall breaking thing, make jokes about the jokes and make jokes about what you're... People, people, people can follow those very easily. People are very savvy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple of uh, series ago, I had one where she was literally at a door with giant door knockers on it. And she looks out at the page and goes, 
nope, not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, like if uh, you think I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to make some crack about these giant knockers. You're dead wrong. I love, going, I love the cake eating, cake eating and having of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. With her, that's like, that's built into it. But I will say for me, that was more of a different muscle than anything I've else else I've done in comics. Right. Well, uh, so, you, know, you, know, you know, for me, that's, that's like, that's the muscle that's, that, I, that is, is, is like a twitching leg that I can't stop, you know? Yeah. Much to the chagrin of my family and, and friends sometimes. And I literally wrote monologue for Conan. So I was like writing like 30 to 50 jokes a day. So like for me, that's just, that's an automatic muscle. But, but what was interesting is this, um, if I can just mention the book again. So um, the cre different creative challenge I had for this was that it's supposed to be a gross out book. Right. And so, I was sort of mentally, so me, I'm going to keep putting the jokes in. That's not going to be a problem. And I'm knowing, I'm, I'm going to tell a good story, but I'm going to also, I have to be true to what I'm promising. And so I had to keep, sometimes I would get off and like, this is a cool story. This is funny, but am I still keeping the gross things going? So there's sort of an internal clock for me of like, have I gone too long without introducing something gross? Um, like for example, and so what I would do is like, for example, there's a story in it called the step mummy, where it's a blended family where uh, fathers, the wife, the mother, disappears and the, the father remarries an, an ancient pharaoh and it pharaoh pharaoh ennis like you do pharaoh, um who's like the step mummy and it's from the daughter's point of view about i don't like my new mom and like that kind of has its own comedy built into it like you know the, the character fish out of water stuff but what i did was i was like this isn't necessarily like gross enough so i went and did some egyptology research and i looked at like oh what did the ancient egyptians use for like what did they eat and what did they use for hygiene and that stuff is disgusting like they would eat fermented fish innards for breakfast they would like brush their teeth with ox hooves and ashes i was like that's actually true and that's that's great to put in a book for kids like actual true crazy things but also mm -hmm. we're keeping the gross question up even when we're not like a big set piece about things exploding or whatever yeah no, i mean that's a really interesting the idea of servicing genre you know yeah, that yeah. like your your book falls into a gross out <laughs> A long time ago, I was trying to write, you know, you can't sit down and write a cult TV series, but I was trying to create something different and interesting that was a science fiction series. And I sat down and watched my favorite science fiction cult TV series, The Prisoner, mm -hmm. for 17 issues, for 17 issues, 17 episodes. <laughs> I do that a lot using episodes and issues yeah. uh, in, in <clears throat> interchangeably. But the very first thing that jumped out at me about The Prisoner which I really appreciated is that cat gets in a fist fight, a foot chase or some kind of half-assed car chase, you know, with a little golf cart. <laughs> yeah. By act two of every single episode. Yeah. Like even when you're doing like the existentialist surrealist Harold Pinter meets James Bond thing, you don't forget the James Bond and you need yeah. number six to throw a punch every once in a while. It, 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 yeah. Yeah. I you mean, it, yeah. yeah. M most common note, you know, that, that, that you get as an action writer is, you know, look, nobody's been, nobody's been clobbered for 12 pages, you know, yeah. it's kind of, but somebody's got to get shot. Somebody's got to get kicked. You know? But I appreciated that even when you're trying to say something about the, you know, the existential crisis of modern man, yeah. you're still like, uh, can he get chased by the big white thing for, uh, for yeah. 10 minutes right here? Because yeah, yeah. we need to break up all of this uh, Harold Pinterest dialogue with yeah. a little sci-fi horror moment yeah. or with yeah. a punch out or with gunfire. Yeah. Well, you yeah, you, you see this thing where they just they just walk in the main entrance. What if instead they got into a van and drove through the main entrance? Mashed through it. Um, you, you know, uh, that's yeah. the, you know, it's... Um, yeah. But it was a, re it, that alone was just a really great, like, 
no man, you can you can be as deep and as weird and as interesting as you want, but don't forget, you know, again, it's Star Trek, it's entertainment. Throw a punch, have a have something wild happen, blow something up. You know, you you can you can give it the most beautiful, thoughtful wrap up humanly possible, but yeah. danger, stakes, yeah. you know, yeah. like well, even yeah, in the it, thing it, which is guys talking about identity for an hour, yeah. danger and stakes. Danger and stakes and, 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 and sex and comedy and all that stuff, you know, yeah. like, you know, you know, uh, Kirk has not fornicated with the green person, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yet let's, um, you know, let's play that card. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Data hasn't, you know, data hasn't misunderstood some wrinkle of humanity, yeah. uh, uh, you know, in, I love, in 20 uh, minutes. So, you know, Raymond Chandler always said that when he ran out of steam, literally just discover another dead body randomly <laughs> or, a or a character yeah. you've never seen before walks in yeah. holding a gun. Yeah. You know and you can read some of his short stories and go, wow, a guy just walked in holding a gun, new character with a gun. <laughs> this yeah, is where Ray was like, yeah. yeah, Ray was like, I, I don't know what to do in this scene. So here's another, another hood with a gun uh, just to give us something to keep life interesting. And, uh, and look also, you know, life itself drops, all the rules of drama to one side. Life is surprising and weird, and sometimes the guy does just walk in the room with a gun, or you stumble right, over right. a dead body, and right. that works. Right. That works just fine. But, I think what's uh, so interesting about that that prisoner example is that that's definitely not the sort of vibe that you, if you haven't watched it in a while, like you said, you were sort of surprised that it's not at all like, oh yeah, the prisoner, that great chase and punching show, right? Yeah, like, what a great that's what really killed, and especially in the early episodes when he's trying to hook people, right? He's like, but but, but that um. That sort of uh, story energy is why we sort of bought into all the cerebral part of it that we do remember. Yeah. He sort of, that sort of was like almost the, um, you know, like the salad that got us to the, uh, the you know, to the main course that we sort of remember. But if we didn't have that, it would have been sort of, yeah, people wouldn't have been hooked and it would have been sort of more marginalized, I think, is kind of a, you know. And it's valid. Approach. I mean, it's the, you know, again, I use humor the same way. I, the love same way. The, right. I love the 1930s style of filmmaking which you know uh william goldman would argue that the star system has somewhat ru ruined but the idea that every character you you know the the hero buys a newspaper from a, a vendor on the street that guy's gonna have one funny line yeah. he's not gonna be in the rest of the movie he's not a character he's not important but the screenwriters of the 1930s were like what's the newsboy say that's funny yeah. What's the newsboy got for Gary that Cooper? For everything when I write, I always like I don't want anyone yeah. to be like just to be a tool on camera. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, I mean, Damon Wayans and uh, and Beverly Hills Cop. It's like you know, Eddie Eddie Murphy needs a banana, you know, and and yeah. so so there's this little mini movie with Damon Wayans that that you know he knocks out of the park. I mean, uh, Armageddon, you know, one of my uh, one of my favorite films uh, doesn't get nearly enough credit. It starts out. With uh, with basically a short film starring Eddie Griffin and his dog. Do you remember that? Before New York before New York takes the the initial. You know, again, it's like that stuff doesn't come back. Uh, but but you remember it. It's 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 incredible. Uh, you laugh your ass off. Um, it puts you in a really good move. It mood, and then you move into like you know, end of the world. Uh, and ultimately, and, yeah. and ultimately, it's realistic. We have all we all live lives where sometimes the barista has the funniest thing, says the funniest thing yeah. to you that you've heard all day. 
Right. The yeah. valet parking guy is a character unlike any character you've encountered. Yeah. So that I love that thing of like, no, everyone deserves to be. Yeah. Think about everyone as a character. Think about yeah. what would be the funniest thing for them to say yeah. or do, and let them have it. Yeah, you know, my, my my yeah my, my friend Jane Carr. She's been acting in Hollywood forever. She's actually one of my Kempo instructors, um, and uh, you know it, she's a she's a that gal actress. Like you you, you see her, you, you know her from a hundred things. She's got a hundred plus IMDb credit. She's probably best known. She was um, if you watch Dear John on NBC back in the day, uh, uh, she was probably like the the third lead in Dear John. She was the um, the the leader of the the divorcee group. Oh, is she uh, British? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so. I mean, and 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 is like a a theater legend, right? Um, but she is best known because she was in one episode of Friends where she kind of plays. Uh, uh, they're they're stuck in an airport, and she plays the asshole at the counter, and yeah. she has a handful of lines. But she is, you know, she's a great actress, and she can throw 110 miles an hour, and they just let her fucking cook. You know, and yeah. it's, it's exactly what we're talking about. And it's iconic. You know, I mean, if you if you ask really big, you know, uh, uh, friends, fans like, you know, who are the five best, uh, you know, random guest stars that came on? She's on the list, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and the number of times it's like, oh, you're the lady from Friends. Yeah. You know, and, she was, and, you yes, know like and six you, minutes of screen time in a Friends episode. And you let them be indelible. Rob and I yeah. have a friend named Jonathan Schmock. He's a great comedian, great comedy writer, great stand up. But if you say to anyone, you're Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago, they're picture they can they're immediately picturing Jonathan yeah. Schmock. Yeah. They don't know him from right. the sitcoms he starred in. Yeah. They don't know him from the shows that he was the showrunner on. They know him as the snooty waiter yeah. in the restaurant in Ferris right. Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, and they want a picture with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's uh, the ability to create that. I yeah. love I love when actors do that. Like like when yeah. sort of quote unquote bit parts, which is so pejorative when they just like run the town with it and make yeah. me a lot of it. My, it I, one of my favorite performances in any film ever is, and I'm spacing on the actor's name, which I feel bad about, is the luggage salesman in Joe versus the Volcano. That is one of the greatest guy takes of completely meaningless scene and just runs all the bases at it, slides into home. And Tom Hanks very generously just stands there and watches him run away with the movie for two minutes and just goes, wow, yeah. this is really amazing what this guy is doing. You know, I, very yeah, exciting I, yeah, as yeah, a I, luggage problem. Yeah. I mean, you know? Neil, pa Neil Patrick Harris had an entire career renaissance because he played an absurd version of himself for like six minutes in, right, uh, in and Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then suddenly it's like, everybody's like, you know what? Like Neil Patrick Harris is awesome. Let's put yeah. him in everything. And, and of course he's awesome. He's, he's, you know, an incredible actor, a, a, you know, insane musical talent, uh, you know, an important social activist, all of that stuff. But it's like, I, I don't know if he is where he is today, if he doesn't, you know, play an absurd version of himself for a, a, a minute in this, like, in this movie that, like, nobody saw in the theater, but caught fire on video or whatever. Yeah, that's um, another, that's yeah. another funny phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to be sure. Where, where did the children's book come from? I want to get back to that for a second. Like, what made you well, wake up in the morning and say, I want to write a book and a daddy book? Love each other very much. <laughs> um, uh, so you left was, them alone in the bedroom and yes, uh, that's right. it produced the um, children's book. One of them lay back on their spine. Uh, uh, you guys may recall, and uh, footnotes in comics history, uh, 
probably five years ago, I think, uh, DC bought out um, uh, Mad Magazine and That's right. moved their headquarters out here to, to Burbank and um, put some money into it. And um, they launched a reboot of it, which was like full color. And I think did a really actually really smart job. Like they brought in some like young kind of alt comic talent, um, some great people like Dan Telfer and uh, Ali Gertz was right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Some great people who are really talented and they did some more. I don't know. I wasn't privy. I was a freelancer, but like they, they melded some of their editorial point of view with some of the old, the usual gang of idiots. So there was like a nice, like candy of the torch to it. It was like contemporary. It was still mad magazine style, but it had some contemporaneous to it. It was good, but they also, spent a lot of money on it and it didn't produce results right away. Like I knew when I saw the freelance reads, I was like, this is an amazing rate for a freelancer and this thing is not going to last. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I, I ended up uh, collabing a lot with a um, artist named David DeGrand who did the art for this. And um, as you can see, very, very mad magazine style. Like you can just tell mm-hmm. right away his character style, his tact, that kind of tactile thing. Um, he and I like had a real simpatico, you know, sensibility. And he's he's done a lot of uh, uh, kids books and stuff like that. And people were seeking out a graphic novel from him. And he had he's a really he's a horror fiend. And he's like, I always wanted to do a funny kids version of horror stories that were just really gross because he draws that stuff really well. Um, but I don't have like all the ideas. And I don't know how to write and all that stuff. Like that. he's very funny, but he's like, I don't know how to write all that stuff. So he said, What do you think? And so we kind of put our heads together and came up with like our favorite five stories, and then put those together into a proposal, and then sold them to um, to an imprint at Macmillan, which folded, but then it, they bounced it over for a second, which is honestly like a much cooler part of Macmillan. And so I was kind of happy about that. So it kind of came in through him, into, you know, ushering me into the door, I would say. That's great. And how long did it take you to produce it? Well, if you say, uh, I think for us, it was probably about, you know, I want to say like two years, you know, with all the revisions and going back and forth. Actually, I, how many pages is it? Let me, let's start it's, there. It's like 224. And, okay. Um, so their their production is like in their year, year and a half or something, as you know, like it's very, yeah. uh, especially for like a big book, you know, with a lot of yeah. books. And then they have to, they also have to like with kids books, they have to do like, um, they have to do extra sort of reads to do it, like have sort of, you know, educational experts and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And you know, some second yeah. ruining lives. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't get any any particularly like terrible feedback from that. I was like, it was like, okay, I guess so. Like, you know, don't use the word insane because it's you know stigmatizing the mentally ill like some of the stuff mm-hmm. that people complain about being woke like that just is what it is um so there's like a few extra layers to it i would say so it takes a bit longer but um yeah it felt like we were working on a long time but also as you guys know it feels like it was a while ago too <laughs> it mm-hmm. takes a long sure. time. and what's the age range it's targeted at uh like six to twelve okay um and it's specifically targeted at uh we're sort of going after kids who don't necessarily like to read like it's supposed to kind right. of be a an inappropriate book that your parents and teachers don't really right. like that you um that at, been- at that at that length i'm assuming it's comic book style not storybook style or is it storybook style oh, it's all it's all graphic comic book style okay. panel by storybook know. style i mean like every page is a two-page spread and it has eight words on it you know no, no, that's, that's a pic- yeah, picture book yeah no no yeah that's that's the real children's 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 no, no, book no, no. It's, it looks style. like a comic, it looks like a comic book from the inside oh um, great but great. um what I remember is that uh, my, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Captain Underpants books, but um, in one of them. I've heard of them, yeah. In one of them, they're also big gross out books. And in one of them, uh, they have a whole rubric where you can come up with your comic, your secret 
kind of uh, Captain Underpants code name by taking like what's the first letter of your first name and and if it's this and this A through K it's this and basically you construct a crazy name for yourself that's like you know Booger Booger McPoopy Pants is like your code name based on your name. It's a good code name. Um, yeah. Um, and so my in my daughter's third grade class, this was so popular that the teacher had to literally proclaim an official ban on Captain Underpants code names. And I was like, that is the target. That's what I want right there is the book that is so ridiculous and stupid that the teachers do it, but the kids are like dying to do it, you know, underneath the surface. And so that was kind of the, that was kind of the whole mission statement for me. That's a good goal. Are you, are you looking at ever doing a volume two of it or working with him again? Yeah, we have another proposal out right now uh, that's in the market for kind of a, a sort of our version on uh, <clears throat> tales from history. I can't really say more than that, but oh, um, cool. Uh, yeah, he and I are a great creative team. I mean, at least in terms between us, we really work effortlessly together. I would say, and improve each other's works and just laugh at the same things. Like sometimes just that is enough. Is he the kind of cartoonist that's doing his own coloring or lettering, or did you bring people in for that? He does. He does everything. Yeah. I know there are a lot of people that do everything. I know we've had on this show writers who do their own lettering just so that they can do revisions right up until the last moment. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have that kind of hand-eye coordination, and I don't want to. Uh, but uh, have you got anything else planned coming up in the comics uh, space? Yeah, I actually have another. Um, I have another kids it's actually a trilogy, also with First Second, where it's a piece of IP that an animation studio brought to them. They wanted to make a trilogy of them, and then there's they're supposedly going to make a Disney Plus series out of it uh, as well, cool. um, which I'm not involved in right now because I don't know how far along it got. It had some uh, it had some hitches along the way, but anyway, so um, I can't talk about it. it hasn't been announced yet, but it'll be like a trilogy of you know, uh, also six to twelve inch uh, age, uh, uh, full stories in three books. Uh, so I'll cool. be I, I've just turned the first draft. I mean, the first draft of that is almost going into production now, and then I'll be doing the next one. Um, Did, that's not coming out until next year. And least. this is this is for tag, I assume. That's the animation stuff you've been talking about. This is book, another book. Oh, this another book. book. Okay. This is a trilogy of books, and they're also at the same time going to make a Disney Plus animated series. About I that. see. I see. What was the stuff you've been doing in animation? Um, I've been doing a combination of just a little freelancing where I can get it. It's you know, as you know, it's catch as catch can, and you got to sort of you got to sort of know someone, as it were. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've done a little bit of a few things here and there, like Teen Titans Go. Um, oh, fun! And, and yeah, some fun things. And they, they had an Angry Birds uh, show on Netflix last year called Angry Birds Summer Madness, where it's the Angry Birds characters at summer camp. Um, and then I've also been been trying to pitch and sell my own things, and gotten pretty close with that. I, I had an adult animated thing. Um, so Sci-Fi a few years ago was going to do an eleven o'clock adult animation block, you know, with like really irreverent stuff, and so. They bought my idea, which I packaged and brought to them, and they had a really crazy thing from Dina Samatopoulos, if you know, um, who's the other half of Starburns with Dan Harmon. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So it was these really great things, and we we went to the development road, and then this is this is the big story here. Like you know, the NBC Universal merger came, and they it was this this you know Universal and Sci-Fi, NBC Universal, they cleared house, they got rid of the execs, they got rid of the whole thing, which I think is a crime shame. Cut fast forward to now, like shows like Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites. Uh, or massive hits. So it's like mm -hmm. they had, they really had, you know, something in their hands that they, for one of these sort of stupid corporate merger reasons, could hold on, couldn't hold on to. And um, and then I also had an experience like that on the kids side where I developed um, a show with um, with my and Bialik's company for Warner Brothers, like a kids science show. And um, we were getting played pretty close in with Netflix. And then Netflix kind of 
suddenly imploded with kids animation and stuff as well. So, sure. you know, but, like but, so, I, I really so you're saying that that. that business relationship didn't blossom. Oh, wow. Uh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. No, that, that was fine. That was the only, only survivor for it. But, uh, the, yeah. the, I, that animation world was so interesting because there was, you know, there was this, this minute um, in history where it was like, car, you know, Cartoon Network was Adult Swim in particular was like really cooking. And suddenly every network, you know, every studio was trying to find their, they were going to do their version of, of Adult Swim, you know, and they, they put the word out, man, we, you know, we, we need stuff, we need projects. Right. And so everybody's like, oh, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? And, you know, and a lot of people ran to, uh, a lot of people who shouldn't have been doing it ran to do that stuff. Right. And so, you know, I and think some that, of those shows are still coming out from the, <laughs> yeah. from the people who should, I tried to watch yeah. an animated sci-fi comedy show that I will not name. <clears throat> on one of the streamers and I was just like, okay, well that got one, that was 20 minutes of my time. I'll never get back. Uh, let's not do that again. Um, yes. It's funny with the animation because it takes so long to do kind of like books that yeah. everyone just, they think it's this thing you can just pivot into. Like, like this was what I mm -hmm. heard during the pandemic when live production shut down. I was like, oh yeah, animation, animation. And those of us who've actually done it were like, you're not just going to get animation going. Like you can start it now. And then like you could expect it in two years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's funny. I'm writing on Bat Wheels and the second season hasn't dropped yet. Right. But we, I wrote them all and they're made. Yeah. And, you know, the first season has come out and people are like, oh, do you think you're going to get a seven, second season? I'm like, well, it's the second season's done. <laughs> yeah. Know? Right. Uh, will they, I think they'll air it. Um, it's, uh, you know, they, they okayed a second season before the first one premiered because they know if you wait until the first one premieres and is a hit to green light the second season, the second season comes out two and a half years after the first one. And that's right, not a, right. that's not a great plan. So, but, it, and writing in the kids space, I've never done it um, really before bat wheels. And that's even a preschool space. Wow. You know, I put a, all those kind of rules I'm talking about. And also, yeah, they call it I put a, behavior. Like, you know, anything kids <clears throat> might get is dangerous. You have to take, I put out. a joke on the side of a tanker truck, like what the tanker truck was called. And the showrunner was like, our audience doesn't read. I was uh, like, wow, Jesus. Uh, right, right. No joke can be contained only in a sign because the kids sitting at home will not necessarily be able to read what's on the sign. My, my favorite example of this was um, in the Teen Titans thing. I think I had some joke where, if you know, that those characters, so Beast Boy was like, I forget what the context was, but it was like, he was talking about all these like really bad ideas about things he was going to do. And he's like, my favorite hobby is like, so-and-so and so-and-so and texting while driving. And I'm like, can't put that in there. Cause it, it, it you know, suggests that's something and I'm like, so you're concerned that kids are going to a get a texting device for watching the show and also be driving and then do those two things. Like that's like a, a likely scenario for you. Yeah. That's going to be a danger. Yeah. My five-year-old took control of the car and texted yeah. while they were driving. Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, all over again. Yeah. 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 I mean, I get yeah, it. Right. You know, I, I I don't object too much to that stuff. The educational notes. Sometimes they're, you know, we have an educational person, obviously, and especially right. for a preschool show, a lot of times the 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 moral of the story is pretty nail on the head. But like as someone as someone who has been positively affected by role models in media my entire life and negatively affected, like I, 
you can't step away from that responsibility. Like you, you do have yeah, to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. Like, it's yeah, ridiculous yeah. that we're being worried that a four-year-old is going to be texting and driving is a little, a little abstract. It's extreme, uh, but the, the overall just is correct. I think. Yeah. Especially like I'm a parent, and you are too, Ryland, right? Yeah, yeah. Six right, year so old. I think we, yeah. we appreciate that, right? I think at some levels, at least, you know, we want our kids to be getting at least like decent things or, or not being, or like, or like you say, educational, like not being fed misinformation, which we know now yeah. is a bigger yeah. problem than we thought. Yeah, you know, my, my sister did an interview with a screenwriter once. I think it was actually George Gallo who wrote uh, Midnight Run. And he said a great, you know, he's like, we all like try to go like art for art's sake and, you know, freedom of speech and put whatever you want in your art because it's valid and blah, blah, blah. He's like, but you, if you're willing to say that this piece of art ennobled me, made me a better person, made me a deeper person. You have to admit that the possibility exists that art could make you a worse person. Mm. Like you can't, you can't say that the only way that art can affect you is positive. Yeah. Look, at, look how, at art did for Hitler. Yeah. Well, and look at what art did for ever for, for three quarters of the male audience of fight club. Yeah. I think Tyler Durden right. is the hero of the movie. Yeah. Right. Uh, and do, does not grasp. No, Tyler Durden is the worst nightmare of 20th century male masculinity. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. Well, Don't yeah. be Tyler Durden. No, Tyler Durden yeah. is pretty cool. I mean, Thich Nhat Hanh is a Vietnamese Zen monk. And, you know, I mean, is he, uh, uh, you know, uh, unexplored line in my bio is that I happen to be an ordained sort of Zen Buddhist monk. But when he is talking about intoxicants, um, he talks about, of course, alcohol and drugs. Uh, but he also call, he, he talks heavily same level and with the same fervor about all of the media that we uh that we consume and and yeah. the books we read and the you know uh the tv shows we watch and all of that stuff and in this idea that it can have the same effect on us and 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 really more so than anything you know that's a that's a avoid the negative stuff sort of play that he's, he's and i mean it. and also but, there's a great point that to a degree the audience is in control of the reaction to it and you can't help it there's a great line in uh, the stuntman, Richard Rush film, the stuntman, where a director character played by uh, Peter O'Toole, Eli Cross, is talking about the anti-war movie he's making and how hard it is to make a good anti-war movie. And he says, a friend of mine, a colleague, made an anti-war movie. Good one. When it was released, uh, military recruitment in his hometown went up by 60%. Wow. You know, like you, there's a degree to which, no matter how you present it, consequences. You know, there are people who can read William Burroughs and somehow come away with, oh, I should try heroin. Yeah, train spotting. Yeah. Uh, Right. Baffling because pretty much every other word in Naked Lunch is this is the worst thing you can possibly (laughs) do to yourself and will induce a nightmare state that will last you for the rest of your life. Hey, that sounds good. You know, like I'm what young. do you, what do you? We, there's nothing that I don't know that William Burroughs could have worked harder to embed an anti-drug message in Naked Lunch. Is what I'm saying. The whole thing is a pretty astonishing anti-drug message. But you will get people who Amazing. will read it and go, "Oh, William Burroughs was cool, and he did a bunch of heroin." So I think I will be cool and do a bunch of heroin. No, that is not the point of his entire oeuvre. But uh, but yeah, so it's it's just something you always have to. Uh, the point of those anecdotes, of course, is you can only take it as far as you can take it. There right. will always be people who are determined to not get the point, to not understand the subtext, 
Uh, but you can be lively to like, well, how is this? How does this play? How do people? How are people going to read this? You know, you can only guess with that sometimes. Yeah, you have to just yeah. you have to have integrity, sort of sense of integrity to what yeah. you do and your own values, and that's the best you can do, I think, right? And also, though, there's the thing of getting caught up in what you think is fun or cool. If I, if I right. taught a film directing class, I would literally have my class read Watchmen and then watch the Zack Snyder movie and go, so here you have a book, the main subject of which is that violence, particularly vigilante violence, solves nothing and makes the world worse. And it is made into a film by a man who thinks violence is really cool. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of what's in the book is there because it's there. You can't, even with the wrong director, the point is still getting across. Yeah. But then there are scenes of really balletic, beautiful, stylized violence where you go, this is so against the point of this thing. I always say my, my sister, who you know, saw Watchmen and she hadn't read the book. And at the end, she turned to us and said, I don't understand. We saw how Dr. Manhattan got his powers. How did all the other characters get their powers? And me and my brother were like, they, they're all just uh, highly trained humans. And she's like, who punched through brick walls with their bare fists? Really? That's the thing. That, that's the thing a highly trained acrobat can do. Because I'm not on, not in this world, <laughs> not in any world. But you know, Zack Snyder thinks it's cool to show Ozymandias punching his fist through a brick wall. So yeah. there it is, and there's nothing you can do about that. So it's you know, it's it's just one of those things that we doing what we do. It's a, it's a, it's just a thing to be conscious of, and particularly when you're doing stuff that's aimed at children. Yeah, you know, it's it, you know, like I said, I never, I don't get even when the education people say something dumb or over the top, you just go, I, you know, their heart's in the right place, and what they're trying to do is a very good thing, even if they are sort of intentionally giving this the worst misreading you could possibly yeah. get it because you know the one thing they're right about somewhere out there in this world is a kid who is going to take the keys of their parents cars and try and text one, one is too many right yeah right that's the you know again i'm not standing up for that particular censorship of your particular book i'm just saying you know there there is something to be said for for having a sense of uh of how you how you are how your work is seen and what it Right, translate into, yeah. you know and knowing is half the battle yeah <laughs> well you know to go back to i quote this all the time but uh vonnegut's mother knight i think is the greatest guide to how to use twitter ever because the moral of the story is we are who we pretend to be so let's be careful who we pretend to be well said and that's why i don't ever do I don't believe in ironic racism, ironic sexism, or ironic any of yeah, that. Nah. Yeah. To the person hearing it, it's just the real thing. You know. I think the other thing that's interesting here too is that uh, you know, obviously, there's really stupid network notes that are, I think, not from from a place of intention of like mm -hmm. intention, but just like I'm going to justify my salary, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I, and maybe this is sort of a trust in myself or sort of. Uh, willingness to go into like the great void. But um, I think sometimes like rules and structure sometimes amp up your creativity. I mean, not structure, but I mean like const constraints is what I should have said. Like, Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Like, let me do what I want to do. It's like, no, give me this weird challenge and let me figure out how to like. I, and I particularly feel that way about 
I mean, you know, scientific accuracy can only go so far in science when you've got faster than light spaceships yeah, and time right. portals and whatever. And historical accuracy only needs to go so far. But to me, like, the challenge is if that joke is anachronistic in your period thing, do better. Come up yeah. with a better joke. Right. I say, look at the Cohen brothers. The Cohen brothers managed to do period stuff, keep the language correct, and still be really funny without dragging, right. without having someone in, you know, I, I always, Mrs. Maisel episode one, let's do lunch in, you know, 1958. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, just rewrite that line, man. Read the room, Caesar. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, again, like intentional anachronism is great. And if that's what you want to go for, right? you know, a la history of the world, a la a million things, uh, yeah. I think that's great. But you got to really, if you're going to do that, then you got to commit to that. You have to completely you, do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just watched the, the crossover episode of Star Trek Lower Depths and uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, oh, which is that, an yeah. animated comedy show crossing right. over with a live drama show right. and i particularly noticed how much the two main characters of the comedy show talk like 21st century americans in 21st mm. century american idiom yeah. in a way that the crew of the enterprise absolutely do not but it's okay because they're these comedy characters and we accept that part of the joke is that she will talk like a 21st century American 20 year old well, or 25 yeah. year old. And, and, yeah. And, and there were a number of jokes where the very serious people were being like, do they actually talk that way? Are, are you listening to this? <laughs> yeah, you right. know? And, and then in the ends, like the, the, the real life dramatic characters start, they just fall into the rhythm of talking like the cartoon characters did. And, yeah. and they're like, they're like, they're like, yeah. Oh shit. We're doing it now. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, no, I that thought was that funny. was very cleverly yeah. constructed and very well yeah. done. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it, it was very well done, and they, and they had they had opened the door for it. There had been enough comedy and yeah. enough kind of like slapsticky stuff in in Strange New Worlds leading up to that, yeah. where it didn't feel like this massive leap, you know. Yeah, and, um, and you know, and in Strange New Worlds, they were definitely taking off from the original series had out and out comedy episodes. Sure, you know, sure. like not just Terrible with Tribbles, but there are <laughs> other episodes that are definitely comedy episodes and are into yeah. like the, the gangster planet episode. Not yeah. one second, not one second of that is played straight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. they realized, well, okay, we got to save some money. So let's use the Paramount back lot and let's use some gangster costumes. And it's just got to be friggin' ridiculous. Cause we yeah. can't, we can't do this straight. And uh, you know, I feel like next generation, the entire Rick Berman era, they were dreadful at comedy and luckily they didn't try it very often. They yeah. were not funny. Um, yeah, there's there's that first season episode where everybody gets like space drunk. Remember that? And, yeah. Uh, it, it Picard mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, Picard sitting on Beverly and sort yeah. of like skipping through the the doorway and that, that yeah, was, that was not very good. No, it doesn't. It 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 doesn't always work. And it's a it's a hard thing to do. But once you set the parameters, it's too bad because now we sort of I think we've kind of realized how really talented at comedy Patrick Stewart is. I think he really is. Yeah. And I think, you know, and Will Wheaton too. Will Wheaton was sort of like young then, so he wasn't playing that at all, but we know that he has a talent for it too, but they were yeah. sort of underutilized, or at least... No, it's, it's the writing was not up to snuff. Yeah. Of course, of course, by then I've seen everything, but... Uh, yes, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if there are any extras fans out there, Patrick Stewart, yeah. uh, you know, hit a, a, home, <laughs> yeah, right. a home run at the very that least. Was, and I can yeah. see everything. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was such a great, I'm like Professor Xavier. Yeah, yeah no, that, that was, uh, that show was, was great for that. I wasn't crazy about where it ended up because yeah. he couldn't help himself from being famous and rich and successful by the end of the series. Yeah. Um, which is not the life experience of extras guy. I got right. some news for you. Right. Uh, find me the one extra who has ever had that happen to them. And yeah. I will, you know, pin a medal on him. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's a, it, but that's the thing. It is not everyone can do comedy. And like, you know, I mud is another great episode of the original series with Roger C. Carmel, where they did comedy very, oh, very yeah, well, right. mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and had the ability to do it, but it's it's a it's a delicate thing. You don't want to make your character your your serious characters on your serious space opera look ridiculous, and you need actors who can carry that lightness and play it well. And of course, now they have Carol Kane in the cast. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I they, think are, they were smart that they really sort of like laid down their marker early and said, like, we can do the intense dramatic stuff. We're going to show you that we have the bones of Star Trek. And then once yep. that was established, then they switched into that episode with, I forget the character's names, like the two female characters, the, um, well, the early Nurse Chapel, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. then sort of comparing their life problems and, you know, oh, like nerdy out on like following all the security protocols. You remember that? Like uh, in the first season, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. a pretty funny, like observational comedy episode, but it was pretty late. It was like once they really like established, we know what we're doing. We're going to choose to do it in this register or not, as opposed yeah. to, we don't yeah. know what we're doing. Yeah. It's kind of a mess. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, they've really pushed the limits. The episode, the storybook episode, do you remember that? Yeah, that or, was nuts. Yeah, that, that was, was, nuts. was nuts yeah. in a very, in a very shore a leave kind of a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Literally, everybody yeah. playing, uh, you know, um, and and yeah, and and Anson Mount just you know playing a complete buffoon. <laughs> you know, but yeah. you know, compare yeah. that, compare yeah. that to the Q episode with Robin Hood, which is just lead. Yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. It, just yeah. it just lies there and is sad and hurts you and. Yeah. You know, uh, again, I may, I can, I, maybe I'm too tough on those guys, but, uh, yeah. you know, and I think that the partially the lightness on strange new worlds to get on, continue on that topic. I think it is a result, a, 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 a response to discovery is just a very grim show. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I, I like it. I think it's very well done. It's cool. Interesting, but not at all. Yeah, you, you mean Star Trek with mushrooms instead of yes. as opposed yeah. to walk, Walking Dead <laughs> with mushrooms? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. many mycelium. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 DS Nine Trouble with Tribbles crossover was pretty damn good too. The oh, uh, that's great. Uh, we actually uh, just yeah yeah we watch that. Yeah, when they see the Klingons without the ridges on their foreheads and they're like, "Warp." Don't want to talk about. Yeah, what is the deal? It is not discussed. Yep. Yeah. It's, really, it's really good. Yeah. No, but I, you know, and to get to the end of that topic, I think that I, at first I had the old fan thing of like, well, that doesn't really track with continuity. And this guy doesn't have half the charm of William Shatner. But during the last episode with Kirk, I was like, yeah. oh, fuck, now this guy's growing on me. And his interpretation yeah, yeah. of it, <laughs> yeah. it, it is 160 degrees from Shatner's interpretation of it. Yeah. But it is another valid take. You're, you're, talking, you're talking about the time. Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about the time yeah. travel episode. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, even the, the one with Uhura a couple of episodes ago. Okay. All right. uh, yeah. where, where they just randomly encountered Kirk out in the, out in, out in the forest. But, uh, but yeah, it's a... Uh, I kind of like the fact that they have just quietly gone, you know, we're just rewriting. We're pretending we started from the beginning. 
Yeah. Anything can happen. I like the fact that I can watch the show and go, I actually don't know for sure anymore that Captain Pike is going to have this horrible radiation accident. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like the future. It's like the wrath of retcon. Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, I think like, on that note we should wrap up because I don't yeah, know that we're going yeah, to. I don't know that we're going to top the wrath of retcon, um, <laughs> especially with the hot con lady that they going have on out on a high note. Yeah. Well, that was that was classic writer's block where we actually pivoted to talking about Star Trek for ten minutes. Can I, can I have really quick about that though? Is no, go ahead. You may have seen this on, on Facebook, but I actually was involved with a uh, podcast that's out right now that's a comedic take on the Wrath of Khan. Um, that's right. Uh, it's called The Novelizers. And we're going to do it. Actually, we're going to probably do it for some movies that I think Ryland loves, too. We're doing it for we're, we have a couple of seasons planned where we have this conceit that um, that it's movies that didn't have a book they were based on. And so we have like comedy writers divvy up the movie into chapters, like 10 minute chunks nice. and do their own kind of twisted version of that that chapter as if this was the novel of the book and then we have some famous funny people voice it and it's a podcast with andy richter and i did one that was um, just came out last week that was a um is the climax of wrath of khan so it's um the kobayashi maru's unveiled kirk's trick in it you know how kirk mm-hmm. beat the kobayashi maru mm-hmm. carol reveals genesis and then they enter this final battle in the, in the nebula the kirk and khan ships so i did that through a seven minute uh, medley of disney songs Good. Where we had um, Rachel Bloom uh, doing her best Kirk while also like you know singing. Oh, that's fun. So, but I think what I was interesting about that to your point, your earlier point, David, is that um, it really kind of these all these takes that people have done really unearthed kind of like the sort of like the richness of those characters on the original series that was always it was always teetered on the edge of maybe not exactly camp, but like there's a lot of sort of buried comedy beneath the surface, and so. When they kind of just loosen the grip a little bit, I think those characters, the natural funniness, you know, Scotty is inherently funny. Chekhov is kind of inherently funny. Bones is, if you let them not be serious, they're already kind of ridiculous people. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And so like they were already, I think at the strength of the character writing, I would say makes comedy not, a, not a big lift for a show like that. And maybe that yeah. was the issue with generations. The characters are a little bit more like stolid. and Yeah. Know. And they didn't, I mean, that was partially Roddenberry's thing about there not being any conflict, but I, I think there have been plenty of, it's actually, this is one of my big pet peeves. Comedy, Ted Lasso is perfect proof. Comedy doesn't have to be about terrible people being terrible to one another. Comedy right. can actually about, unlike friends, comedy can be about friends who treat each other well. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, sure. and, and treat each other with respect, but there's still conflict. There's still yeah, growth. Yeah. There's still... You know, I love that about, you know, Ted Lasso in The Good Place. I think there's something really revolutionary about doing sitcoms about the importance of being a decent human being. Talking. When you've got, you know, Seinfeld is out there being like, no, people yeah. are garbage and you should Al just Park. lean in, lean into being the worst person in the yeah. world if you possibly can. Yeah. Um, and I've never been a fan of that. Uh, I prefer... I think you can make comedy about good people and it's, it's not a, and the crew of the enterprise are a perfect group of quirky individuals who are good people who can, you can do comedy with. Um, They're all the a bunch of really, rise. really highly trained, well-meaning weirdos. Yeah. Yeah. There was something, you know, it, it doesn't get talked a lot about because it's buried in the, 
in the, the novelization <clears throat> that Gene Roddenberry did actually write of Star Trek, the motion picture, mm-hmm. he addressed a lot of the fan stuff in there. Mm. And one of the smartest things he did to address all of the dated stuff in original Star Trek is he, he, he says, I think he even has Kirk saying at one point, the people who join Starfleet and go out into the universe on starships aren't the same people who are at home on earth in the thir- 23rd century. They're weirdos. They're thr- like everything. The reason they're willing to go for five years into space. Yeah. Right? Like they're, they're, they're earth, right? you're pre-selecting people that don't want to live in utopia that's, for some reason. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. That have chosen to be on a ship. Yeah. So Captain Kirk reading a book is anachronistic, even in the world of Star Trek. It's not that Roddenberry was saying, no, 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 we didn't miss a trick and he should have been reading them on tapes. It's like, he's a weirdo that reads books and that's mm-hmm. why he's a starship captain who went out into the universe instead of stayed in an apartment in San Francisco. I mean, it was technically the Kama Sutra, so I don't know if he was reading Yeah, it. <laughs> there is that. But, and he does also, uh, I had forgotten this until I stumbled. He also addresses slash fiction. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, he addresses a, it? He addressed, there's a thing where uh, the, 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 the intro to the book is written by Admiral Kirk. Uh-huh. And he says something about, you know, people have even speculated as to a romantic relationship between wow. myself and my first officer. And I got to tell you, I am not a guy who could find himself romantically attached to someone who goes into heat every he seven years. It. I love it. Yeah. He says, I, I need, if, even if I liked Vulcans, even if I liked men, I need more than every seven years, guys. Sorry. <laughs> so, that's, so, so not my. He is not my paramour, mostly because I need sex more than every seven years. I love how he like honored both characters in like one. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Anyway, let us uh, tell the kids at home where they can find you, where they can find your book. Well, it's going to shock you, but you can find more of my work at robcutner.com. Nice, shocking. Um, and and then this uh, the the book itself we have a site for it. it's not Goblin's book that's all one string with no punctuation or capitals. Uh, we have a lot of fun animated videos and and we had um, we had kids pitch their own most disgusting image. Uh, you may have seen this on Facebook as well. No, I didn't. That sounds for great. The thirty day launch of the book we had uh, David Jewell. These kids, our fan, friends and family, other kids would just pitch what's the most gross thing you can think of. Um, and uh, David drew all of them. We did one a day for thirty days. Oh, so that's great. Out. The gallery of gross is there as well. So it's a fun one. Fantastic. You can put that in the back of the hardcover ultimate edition. That's right. Now we've got bonus content. When now you've got bonus content. Rylan, where can the kids at home find you? Uh, they can find me at galleryofgross.com. It's my project. Oh, no, uh, no, I am uh, at Rylan Grant on all forms of social media. If you're just listening, I know most of you are. That is R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents just kind of drunkenly arranged letters and then saddled me with it. And so now I have to spell it for you. Um, yeah, we had a bunch of, uh, you know, made a bunch of, uh, Immortal Studios, Dynamite Comics announcements, uh, over the weekend. Those will kind of trickle out, uh, you know, more substantially in the coming weeks, but expect a lot of, uh, you know, Ryland Grant, Immortal Studios content, uh, in comic shops via Dynamite Comics, um, by the end of the year, two movies coming out by the end of the year, uh, you know, a TV show on hold that hopefully picks back up by the end of the year, but, um, after the pandemic. Yeah, we'll cross our fingers. <laughs> uh, that's a lot. I'm tired. I'm still tired from Comic Con. We're all uh, a little. We're all a little burned out. Bring us home, Avaloni. You can find me at davidavalonefreelance.com. That branches off to all the social medias. 
I am very easily Googled. Go to your comic shop now and buy Elvira in Monsterland number three. I got to point out that Dave Acosta is a the cover artist of this is a is a real Elvira expert, and I had forgotten the Coors beer. Uh, standees in liquor stores that looked pretty much exactly like this, though it's hidden. But I, I guarantee you that is a Moore's, uh, yes. yeah, sure. yeah. uh that, that is a Scottish Highlands joke. Uh, but, nice. uh, but pick that up, pick up one and two, keep your eyes peeled for new stuff. And uh, thank you for joining us on the writer's block. Thanks for listening, guys. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.